This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Home and Away podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. I am your host for this week, Nick Agar Johnson, and here with me co-hosting this episode, the man, the myth, the legend, the debut host of the Home and Away podcast, Stephen Glassby. Stephen, man, how are you doing? Nick, man, it's awesome. It's funny that we're doing this. We just basically swap camera angles uh, this time on Home and Away as we... uh, we had the pleasure of debuting home and away and going over our preseason draft guide. That was fun. I'm just I'm happy that you get to do the the, the hard part this time and I get to be the one to have more fun. So, so I'm looking forward to the show, brother. Well, I guess this means that I'm home this time after I was away last time. Mm. But you know, we'll figure it out. I see what you did there. There you go. There you go. So today we're going to be talking about your two most recent weekend warrior pieces, and we're going to start out by doing deep dives on the two feature players of your most recent articles. And we're going to start off the deep dives with Malik Renault of Indiana and formerly of Montverde Academy. And Renault is someone who, you know, slid a little bit under the radar heading into the season in terms of hype, despite being one of the top players in his high school class. He was 26th in the 2022 RSCI rankings. And of course, playing at Montverde, he had a lot of talent around him. But as you noted in the piece, he was still one of the top scorers for Montverde, despite all of that talent around him. So I want to start with Renault's play on the offensive end, you know, both in terms of his high school tape and the admittedly little that we've gotten to see from him at Indiana so far. But why don't we start there on the offensive end? So what would you sort of say is the big picture view of the offense for Malik Renault? Well, first off, I want to say that for everyone listening who are like, you know, pronunciation, grammar, uh, scholars and stuff like that. <laughs> I've heard Malik Renault. I've heard Malik Renew. I'm probably going to dance between both of them. But um, hopefully you understand the, uh, the intent of this show is to cover one of the more promising uh, freshmen on Indiana, and uh, we'll, we'll try our best to get the pronunciation right as more television analysts start uh, teaching us as we go along here. But um, my my middle school French says that it's Renault, but I could be completely off base. So okay, I've <laughs> heard I've heard both, and I've the day. I've asked people close to the team, and the the response that I've gotten is that they're starting to hear Renew a lot more. So okay, that's and that's what I'm gonna roll with for for this moment on. But anyway, back back to the piece. Um, yeah, so when I was looking at Malik Renew for this piece, Nick, it was really interesting because I didn't come into the season, you know, thinking much of him as a prospect other than, you know, you know how it is whenever you're getting your player pool together at the beginning of the year 
and you're looking at the incoming crop and you start noticing who ranks where. And like you mentioned, he was a top 30 prospect and a lot of, you know, reputable, you know, draft outlets and stuff like that. We didn't include him on anything on our end, no sailings preseason wise, but nobody did despite the high ranking. And if you look at some of the names that he was ranked up above, I mean, we're talking about like Jet Howard, Judah Mintz, Leonard Miller, Mark Mitchell, his teammate, both in high school and college, Jalen Hushkafino and Ernest Dude. So a lot of high-end freshman players that have been getting a lot of buzz. He was silent, man. And it's crazy because if you look at the if you look at the tape offensively in high school, there's one matchup that I'm sure a lot of people uh, will remember unless they are promoting, you know, um, Jairus Walker hype as, as we are at no ceilings. But Montverde's matchup against – or Montverde or Montbeard, um, their matchup against IMG Academy, which Jairus played for, Malik Renew was showing him up offensively, and that's against a prospect that a lot of people are looking at as like this next wave of power wing defender creator types. And Malik Renew was giving him the business. And, you know, the the post play is really where it starts for him, Nick, because he's a very big guy. He's about 6'9", 230, you know, give or take a few on either side of those. But the post play is really there. And the rebounding and the hustle and the screening, like he's a very powerful player. His lower body is massive and he's kind of deceptive athletics athletically. I won't say he's sneaky because when you watch him get up, he, he, he has like a 41 inch vertical according to a lot of places, but we'll see how that measures out at the combine, but watching him on offense, he's kind of more of an under the basket player. He doesn't really rely on that athleticism a lot. He's more of a technician on the offensive side of the ball. And it starts with interior play. And what's weird in high school is that he averaged less than an assist, but, you know, he played on the team with Jalen Hushkafino. He had Dylan Mitchell on that team, who is starting to show a little bit of pa- passing for Texas. And then obviously Whitehead was on that team too. And he he can move the ball around a little bit, but less than an assist a game at his time at Montverde. And then he gets to Indiana and he's getting like one or two assists in the very early going. And you can see that he has vision. And I highlighted my piece a couple of times where we should have known that he had playmaking based on some of his highlights, but it just wasn't utilized very much. But offensively, what we're seeing now from him is a very powerful player who has good vision and he's looking comfortable taking threes. You know, that's kind of his swing skill, obviously, as it is for most forwards and in the NBA is you got to be able to stretch the floor, but he's looking like he's becoming more comfortable with it. He shot 67% in high school, but that was literally on three shots in high school. So it's easy to get 67% on very limited sample size, but it looks like he's comfortable taking them. And I'm, I'm interested to see if he could continue that. So I think it's very critical that you pointed out his comfort with taking those shots because, yeah, I mean, two for three is not a sample size that you can base anything on. I mean, right? you know, I think if you took, say, any seven-footer, well, Shaq made one three in his career. Ben Simmons <laughs> has made one three in his career. But, you know, find someone else who made two threes in their career. You, you know, sandwich one miss in between, and all of a sudden you're saying things like, hey, Shaq's a pretty good three-point shooter. Like, that's... I call it the Derek Williams principle. That's not how that works. If if it makes just to add to your uh, to what you're saying here, I'm working on a project and I was looking at kind of old stats. Did you know that Roy Hibbert in college was three of three from from deep at his time in college? Did not know that. Yeah, three all. of three. There you go. So yeah. Malik Renault and Roy Hibbert snipers from deep. 
<laughs> there you go. But no, I mean, in all seriousness, I I completely agree that the main point with him is that he looks comfortable taking them. You know, even though it may take a little while for him to sort of stretch out his range to that point, his willingness to take those shots is a huge first step for him. I do want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, and that's sort of his strength, and especially how he sort of utilizes his strength yeah. on the offensive end. And I want to start with, you know, the interior scoring, because that's really, you know, you mentioned he's kind of strangely under the rim on the offensive end, despite mm-hmm. the kind of athletic tools that he has. But, you know, maybe that's just because when you're as big as he is, as young as he is, I'm sure he's, you know, plenty used to just pushing smaller dudes around on the block. And, you know, even through his first few games at Indiana, I mean, it's clear that you're going to have to really put someone big on him to yep. knock him off his position in the post. But, you know, this is a much smaller thing in all honesty, but the thing that really stood out to me about Renault in comparison to other players, his age and size is, and you mentioned this in passing, but he's such a solid screen setter. Yes. And, you know, that seems like it's such a minor thing, but especially when you're looking at someone like Renault, who, you know, maybe isn't, or renew I'm, I'm gonna get that wrong every time but <laughs> it's fine we'll, we'll keep on rolling but uh for him to you know be that solid of a screen setter i think it really will make it easier for him to fit into a lot of different lineup constructions because he's someone who already at his age you can rely on to set solid screens and you know he can rumble down the paint and maybe he's you know a bit more of an under the rim finisher on the offensive end but just his ability to create space for his teammates with his screening is mm-hmm. huge when you combine it with the rest of his offensive package Yeah, and another thing that I failed to mention is that, like, with his interior scoring, it's not just him loading up on the post and someone dropping an entry pass. Like, he'll catch in in high school, and we're seeing it at Indiana now, is that he'll come up on the perimeter and and, and get the ball, and he can come off of the dribble and get to the paint. That's where he's the most comfortable at, but it's not like him being a stationary player. We're not talking about, you know, no disrespect, but he's not Zach Eady, where – he just stands there and is waiting for someone to dump the ball to him. Like he can get there certainly by posting up on the block or he can catch the ball on the outside. And because he's so strong, one of the things that I, you know, I'm not patting myself on the back, but it's just something I want to emphasize in my piece that I love about his game is that he gets to wherever he wants to go by putting players in positions that they don't want to be. And that's exactly how he moves about on the offensive side, whether it is being, on a post up and receiving an entry pass, or if he's getting it on the perimeter, he he's his dribble isn't like next level or anything like that. As a matter of fact, that's one of the areas that I I want to see him improve upon offensively is being able to be trusted a little bit more off of the bounce. But for the competition that he's gone up against, and it's high level competition, you know, parallel to his age group, right? But he. He can he can put the ball on the ground and get to his spots. And I really enjoyed watching that on the film because he would just move somebody who went to check him like really close, like tried to get up in his chest. And he just basically shouldered him or, you know, took a stride around him and still got to where he wanted to be. And it's he has gravity when he does that. And that kind of moves into the passing, which we're starting to see a little bit more of. And I think that it speaks volumes that a coach that that a coach like Coach Woodson is looking at him and saying like, hey, there's something here that we can use to give our offense a wrinkle that we don't necessarily have right now on a playmaking forward. 
I think it's especially telling that Coach Woodson has trusted Renew with that kind of playmaking responsibility, given that he's, again, as you mentioned earlier, still playing with Jalen Huchifino, who's one of the best playmakers yeah. in college basketball. You know, it's like he's got someone alongside him. It's not like you're, you know, on some team where he's the only guy who's a threat and therefore you put the ball in his hands and see what he can do with it because you'd rather trust him than anyone else. It's like, you know, Indiana has Trace Jackson Davis down low. Indiana has Jalen Huchifino mm-hmm. running the point. You know, they have a lot of guys who can be relied upon with the ball in their hands to score or create for others. And yet already coach Woodson is trusting Malik Renew with more of that kind of on ball responsibility than he was trusted with at the high school level. And in terms of his handle, I think it's fair to point out that that's, you know, an area of area for improvement for him. Yeah. But I think at the moment, and you know, you sort of hinted at this, his dribble is functional enough for him to sort of get where he needs to go. And, you know, if you're talking about long-term growth, yes, it would be great if he can develop his handle a little bit, if he can get a little bit better at taking guys off the dribble. But for right now, I think it's good enough to get him where he needs to be. And I think, you know, especially given the flashes of playmaking he's shown, I think that would be a more critical area of development for him in terms of his NBA prospects. Because, you know, ultimately him being able to be relied on not just as someone who can, you know, be a big presence on both ends, but also to be able to move the ball to, you know, keep things going, keep other players in rhythm. That I think will be more of a factor in determining his NBA future than his ability to take guys off the dribble, because I don't think that's going to be something that's going to be part of his NBA game, certainly at least the first few years in the league. But I mean, if he really blows up this year, who knows? But I think the passing growth is something that I'm going to be monitoring very closely for him. Yeah, and, and that's all fair because we're not talking about a point guard or a, or a pure wing or anything like that. I think Malik Renew right now is being profiled as kind of a big man, but I think like the best version of him is kind of like a maybe a three, but more of like a four or five, a guy who you can trust to make plays on the perimeter because he is such a high fill player um, right now, especially being under the rim offensively, he relies on just his feel and in uh, vision and IQ, you know, just all the natural ability that he has offensively. He is just pouring into just like making smart plays. He doesn't, he's not relying on bursts. He's not re- relying on athleticism, although he has that. And then I would like to see him tap into that a little bit more, but because he's not going to be in positions, even in the NBA, if he hits his highest of heights, I still don't think that he's going to be relied upon to, to take someone off the bounce or anything like that. But his playmaking is going to be what sets him over the top by being able to run like DHOs and potentially make a couple power dribbles or relied upon in the short roll to, to kick it out to the corner or maybe back out to the perimeter. You know, there's a number of ways that you can be utilized without having, you know, the best of handles in the NBA, as long as you have the physical gifts and the vision to be able to be relied upon in those situations. So you mentioned how he doesn't necessarily tap into his athleticism that much on the offensive end, but he does Mm -hmm. on the defensive side of the ball. So let's transition to that really quickly. And the place I wanted to start there is where you started with his defense in the article, which is he is a really quick lateral mover on the defensive end. And that is going to be huge for projecting him as a potential help defender at the next level. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that you pointed out the lateral ability that he does have because it's like I said it's kind of deceptive because offensively he he lulls you to sleep a little bit with his counters up and unders you know jab steps and you know he kind of grinds you out a little bit too it's very methodical and it's not a fun place to be and then defensively he can kind of see what's happening especially if he's on the the weak side 
as a as a help defender, he can get from his block to the other short corner in just a couple of quick strides. And that athleticism, it's mostly off of two feet. So I'm not going to sit here and try to make him sound like he's on a pogo stick where he can he's a you know tremendous one foot leaper, but he sees the play happening and he can respond very quickly. And when he loads up on two feet, there's really not anyone that that can finish over the top of him. You know, I'll go back to this IMG game that I broke down, and there's a guy on that team named Keontae George who a lot of people listening to this probably saw him, you know, his previous or his his early games so far this season, and are like, wow, this is like one of the most exciting players in all of basketball. And you're absolutely right. But there's a play in my article that I outlined where, you know, Malik Renew is seeing Keontae George in a situation where there's a bit of a shallow cut with him and his teammate, and he can either make the the quick dump pass or he can turn the corner like he did in this play and sprint to the rim. And he's probably feeling himself that he can get an easy bucket in this opportunity. But Malik Renew doesn't even bo- like body him up. He he tracks the ball tremendously. He jumps straight up into the air, both hands gobbles up the ball. Their bodies don't even touch because of his one his lateral mobility that you just laid out, Nick. His ball tracking ability. And his just tremendous feel for the game that we just got done describing on the offensive end. He's one of these players that if he can put it all together, he can see the same things on both sides of the ball, which we oftentimes say, like, you're one of the best cutters in basketball. How do you get back cut all the time? Malik Renew doesn't do that. He's tremendous on the blocks on the offensive end. And then defensively, he surveys the court really well for a player of his age. Man, you completely preempted me there. I was going to mention, you know, someone who, on the Deep Dives podcast last year, Tyler Metcalf and I talked about a lot was, how is Kendall Brown so exceptionally athletic and so adept at cutting on the offensive end and so hopelessly lost at doing that on the defensive (laughs) end? And, you know, that's part of why Kendall Brown fell from, like, you know, top 10 consideration to ending up being drafted in the middle of the second round. Yeah. But, you know... With Renew, I mean, it's one thing to have the athletic ability that he has. It's one thing to have the size that he has. But, you know, his lateral movement is really huge for him. And you mentioned earlier, you know, sort of seeing him as like a 3-4 kind of player at the next level. I think for me, it's, I mean, it's going to almost entirely depend on his shooting, you know, where he ends up positionally. But, I mean, given just how big he is and how good he is as a weak side defender. I mean, I see him primarily as a four who might even be a small ball five. If you want him to be be. one guy in the lineup, who's not a shooter, but I think of him as more of a big than like a forward, just purely because of his lack of shooting. But I mean, given how mobile he is, especially on the defensive end, it's not out of the question for me to see him as a supersized three in some lineups. It's just, you know, the direction of the NBA the last few years makes me think he's probably more likely to be like a four or five long-term, but you know, there are a lot of guys who just don't have that lateral mobility at all. And are sort of locked into a big man slot. Whereas with Renew, you know, there's, there's the possibility, I think that he ends up being good enough on the perimeter that you can have him as a three. Yeah. It's going to be completely lineup dependent, right? Like if he goes to the Cleveland Cavaliers or something like that and everything goes right, he might play the three there. You know, he, he, he might go to two. Yeah. I mean, and, or if he goes to Portland, he might be the five. I mean, right now they're playing Justice Winslow at the five. If he goes to Orlando, he might be the head coach because he's too short. Like, who knows what's <laughs> going to happen if, if the Magic draft him. But <laughs> Malik Renew, he's just, he's a tremendous, he's a tremendous defender because 
again, I just think that a lot of what he does is deceptive. Like you don't expect him coming down from the other side of the court for him to go to up and unders and a couple power dribbles to again being able to ball track and slide just in a couple steps and he's rejecting Keontae George with two hands. Like it's he's got the athleticism, he's got the IQ. I I there's a couple areas of his game that I do want to see him improve. We talked about the handle. I think he could he's not out of shape or anything like that, but I don't know what we could do to to maybe get this guy to be a little bit lighter on his feet on the offensive end to kind of match that same level of athleticism. Maybe it's him tapping into a, a role or a position or maybe even a play type that he's necessarily been assigned to have to do before, but maybe something that does rely on him being a little bit more uh, springy on the offensive end. I don't know if there's any sort of training or anything like that that this guy can undertake, but I just want to see the offense match a little bit what the defense is doing because I think that he is a he's a pretty good defender. And I mean, going to Indiana, you're going to be defending a lot, especially some bigger bodies. I just I would love to see the the offense match the defense in that aspect. I think it'll be fascinating to see sort of what happens his first few years in the league because this goes back to the fit and context that we were just mm-hmm. talking about. You know, again, if he goes to a team that is going to want to get him on the floor as a three, you know, then he they might you know say, hey, why don't you you know try and you know cut a few pounds or you know work on. I don't know. Again, I'm not exactly the person here either to know what kind of workouts he should be doing. But, you know, (laughs) in the sense of, you know, if he's going to be more of a three, then they probably want him to slim down a bit. If he's going to be a four or a small ball five, then they might say, you know what, just we're going to put you in the great room. We're going to have you be, you know, an absolute menace down low. And that's just going to be, you know, what you do. You're going to be a house. You're going to be a brick house in the paint. He's already so big, too. Yeah, he's he's already so big. Like I said, he's like six, nine. 230 235 like somewhere in that neighborhood and he looks he looks every bit that size if not bigger you know he's he's one of these guys that again there's several plays that I highlighted in this article where he he switched so let's talk about the the defense in this aspect Nick I'm making it sound like he's purely a drop guy and I didn't want to do that and I outlined that in the article too where there's opportunities where he switched out you know that where you can see like after a timeout that a team wants to attack him on the perimeter because they're assuming that he's going to drop. He steps out and completely closes a lane for this offensive guy. I think his name was McIntyre, if I'm not mistaken. Um, But he closes off the lane and McIntyre wants to get him off and he shoulder checks and Renew doesn't go anywhere. And eventually the ball gets poked out of his hands because he has nowhere to go because he picked up his dribble against Malik Renew. And he and Tamar Bates were just, giving that poor young man a hard time in the corner after getting the ball inbounded to him. And it goes the other way for, for buckets because Renew is also pretty good into the open court at finding players too. So there's, there's not very many aspects of the game that Renew cannot make an impact. And at his age already to be able to do that without having to command things happening for him, that's special, you know, because when he does start getting more responsibility, if he does the season, we'll see. But if he is in those positions, you 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 know that he, that he'll succeed because he's doing it in the in the areas that he's already being asked to. So let's move on now to the player highlighted in your second most recent weekend warrior piece, Harrison Ingram, and mm-hmm. a little bit of inside baseball slash behind the scenes kind of discussion here. Last year, we considered Harrison Ingram for our 2022 draft guide. 
And I ended up writing the profile on him, which didn't make the final cut of the draft guide. But suffice it to say, I did quite a deep dive on Harrison Ingram last season for the purposes Mm -hmm. of that draft guide. And he was one of the more confusing prospects for me to try and evaluate in the entirety of the 2022 draft class. Because the things that I loved about his game, I adored about his game. And the things that I had issues with about his game really gave me pause really made me think you know are we are we sure we want to be as in on this guy as we are and of course he ended up dropping out of the draft guide so we ended up not being as in on him as we were but again he was just so confusing for me to evaluate last season and i'm willing to bet he's going to be the same kind of confusing for me to evaluate this season but the good (laughs) stuff with harrison ingram is really really impressive so let's start with the positives and of course the biggest positive for Harrison Ingram is his playmaking so what did you think about Harrison Ingram's playmaking when you wrote about it for the piece well yeah so a lot of what I wrote about and you know for the listeners I believe this was wrote at the end of October so there were no um, early season games against Pacific or Wisconsin happening yet and uh, it was basically buying into the good and understanding that he is going to work on the bad, which some of the bad he has already worked on. But the playmaking is really like the cornerstone of any sort of Harrison Ingram, you know, argument that you can make for wanting to be in on him. Because, listen, the NBA, is, it's no secret that if you're six eight six nine, and you can move the ball, whip the ball around in a special way, that you will find a spot on a team. You know, just the height of eye advantage that you have, especially if you have feel, like coaches are going to trust you. And the playmaking is special because he can do it either off of the bounce, he can do it on on the elbow, you know, the nail, the block, wherever. Anywhere that he has the ball is a creation advantage that he has in terms of passing the ball. Like he can do whip passes, entry passes, bounce passes, you know, simple chest pass. You know, he... There's not very many reads that he cannot make. And that's combined with his physicality that he has, which he does look like he's in better shape this year, which was the big knock on him last season. So now that he's in better shape, probably a little bit stronger now that it's a little bit more defined and chiseled. On top of that, he having the playmaking, it's a very unique thing to have. And that's why I think, Nick, people were were in on him last year. And even preseason this year, a lot of people have him, you know, top 30, you know, albeit on the the latter half of that top 30, but people still have first round grades on him. I mean, if you're going to have a first round grade on Harrison Ingram, it's going to be his combination of size and playmaking. I mean, yeah, six, seven, six, eight, depending on where you look, you know, clearly larger than point guard size, right. Going to be someone who you can rely on to create, you can rely upon to create on the wing. And, you know, you mentioned it already. He has basically every kind of pass in his bag, which, you know, he's going to need given the rest of his offensive skill set but you know when that playmaking is humming he looks like he could be really special because you know he's someone who will catch the cutter and you know hit him in stride every time who you know will see the kick out pass to the open three-pointer the three uh, open three-point shooter and just get it to that guy every time you know Mm -hmm. that's where the positive start with ingram is you can really see him as someone who you know maybe in a smaller role but you know certainly in terms of projecting to the nba level i mean He's someone who, you know, if you need someone to be a creative force on the wing, you can rely on Harrison Ingram to make all the reads that he needs to make. Now, the rest of the offensive game is up and down, as we'll certainly get into. But, you know, again, if you're buying into Harrison Ingram, it's because of the playmaking. And, you know, the reason why I thought of him as a pretty high second rounder last year and in about the same boat this year is 
just because, you know, if he can figure out enough else around the playmaking, especially on the offensive end, then he could be someone who, you know, people are confused as to why he sort of fell off draft radars to the extent that he did. Of course, there are reasons why he has fallen off draft radars to the extent that he has. But, you know, if you're looking for pluses, that playmaking for him is just huge. Yeah, it's the biggest one. And then I think that you could, you know, rebounding, you know, a lot of people say that rebounding is one of those skills that definitely translates up from college to the NBA. He's a very good rebounder too. And that has to do with his timing, um, his IQ, and obviously his strength. But if we're looking at the rest of the offense, it's uh, it's not completely negative, but it's not as positive as you would want it to be in, in terms of shooting. You know, when I'm, when I listen to people talk about this man shooting, you would think that he was like a 15%, like a one, five percent three point shooter. But if you look, I mean, he shot better than a lot of guys that people are high on, like Nolan Hickman from Gonzaga. He was a better three point shooter than Nolan Hickman. And I love Nolan Hickman's form and was really big on him last season. So it's not as bad as what people want to make it out to be. It's kind of like the whole, this probably isn't going to help my argument, but how people talk about Russell Westbrook and that he is not a good basketball player anymore, but he's quietly now all of a sudden the Lakers best player on the team other than Anthony Davis. But um, it's not as bad as what people make it out to be. Harrison Ingram is kind of in that same light. I believe the last 10 games, he shot about 33% from deep. So for someone who's a terrible three point shooter, if that's his bad year, then his good year has got to look great. Right. And, so far in the early going, it's only been two games, but the shot looks like it it has improved. He's actually made a three-pointer against Pacific, I want to say, in, in their first game. Didn't make any attempts in, in Wisconsin. No, he actually made two against Pacific. I watched the film earlier. I'm playing it back in my head right now. But he made two three-pointers against Pacific. I don't think he made any against Wisconsin, but he's taken them, and that's encouraging. In order to make them, you got to take them, and the form doesn't look bad, Nick. Yeah, so the confidence with it is a huge part of it. But, I mean, I'm totally with you on, you know, people sort of seeing him as an absolute non-shooter when last year, I mean, it wasn't pretty, but he shot 31% from deep, right? You know, you can do a whole lot worse than that, especially given the rest of his game. And, I mean, ultimately, you know, it's easy to sort of look at him and be like, okay, this was the 16th ranked recruit out of high school, and then, you know, he fell off, you know, when he got to college, couldn't hit any shots, you know, yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, he was the Pac-12 Rookie of the Year last season for a reason, right? I mean, you know, his good moments really were impressive. And even though there were certainly a lot of downsides, you know, he did put up 10.5 points, almost seven rebounds, three assists per game last season, along with almost a seal game on the defensive end. You know, I think it's easy to look at the negatives with him just because some of the sore spots were a lot more glaring than people thought they would be. But Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately, if you look at Harrison Ingram's first season at Stanford and assume that he was 160th in his high school class rather than 16th, you know, everybody would be looking at him as, wow, this super under the radar, great playmaker for Stanford, Harrison Ingram, right? I mean, it's so much of this is just about the perception headed in. And with Ingram, it's like, you know, people wanted him to shoot better than he did, but I mean, you could do a whole lot worse than 31% as a six foot eight, you know, kind of playmaking type forward. Yeah. And I, and again, it's early, but the shot is looking better. It looks like it's, he's got a quicker release on it. And 
the the bad miss is is what he really needs to eradicate because Nick, as much as we love him, we also got to speak to the other side of it. The 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 misses on his three point shots were really bad, and that's what I think people were kind of leaning more towards. But again, like to make it sound like he can't shoot at all, I think was a little bit too much of a of a an overcorrection for the for the skeptics of him. But he he's not a perfect player. I don't think that either one of us would sit here and try to make it out to be. But it, with that sort of creation ability, with the strength, with the rebounding, the fact that he's not just a like a, a negative shooting the basketball. Again, there were way worse players that people were more high on, you know, last season. I, I think that that mixed with, I'm sure we're going to talk about the defense soon. The defense isn't, isn't terrible either, depending on who he's lined up against. But I mean, he's got the strength to be a positive post-up defender. He can switch off against wings. Guarding against some of the guards, I think, will give him a little bit of trouble. And I don't really trust his like recovery speed or anything like that, but there's some promise to him defensively as well. So I do want to definitely get into the defensive side of the discussion in a moment here. But one other thing that I feel sort of obligated to note, I've multiple times called myself a semi free throw truther in the sense that, you know, I think especially when you're talking about statistical translations, I mean, free throw percentage almost always correlates better to NBA three-point shooting percentage than college three-point shooting percentage. And I joked about this earlier, but I've referred to it in the past as the Derek Williams principle of like, you get one season where you shoot 40% from three because you get lucky on like five attempts that if you'd missed them, you would have been a 30% shooter. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, why I tend to at least at least look at free throw shooting, right? I mean, you know, sometimes you it's get an your indicator. Bruce Bowens. Yeah, exactly. Like sometimes you get your Bruce Bowens who are 40% three point shooters, 40% free throw shooters. But, <laughs> you know, for the most part, free throw shooting, you have a much larger sample size in college than you do of three point shooting. And with Ingram, I mean, he shot 66% from the free throw line last year, which is not great. And, you know, that sort of matches up with what you were saying earlier about the worst of his misses from long range look bad, look really mm-hmm. bad. And, you know, that's sort of where the touch factors in of I'm not as high on him, you know, increasing his three-point shooting as I would be someone who, say, shot, you know, 25% from deep. But, I mean, the example that I used all the time last season was Iverson Molinar, who yeah. was like an 85% free-throw shooter and had been a 40% three-point shooter, but... His last season at Mississippi State, he just happened to get a bunch of bad misses and ended up sub-30% from deep. I mean, you know, I would be much more willing to trust someone like Iverson Molinar as compared to Harrison Ingram in terms of their shooting just because of that free throw shooting sample. But, you know, the flip side of that, again, is very similar to what we were just saying, right? It's not like he's a sub-60% free throw shooter. You know, it's like you would want to see improvement and certainly, you know, you'd like to think that the touch from his first couple games this season is more indicative of, you know, what he's going to end up shooting, even though he did have a few misses in those first couple games. But I did want to just sort of mention the free throw shooting because that's a bit more of a worrying indicator, I think, than, you know, some of the other shooting indicators might be. Yeah. and, And again, I think that that's totally fair. I do also subscribe to the notion that free throw shooting is an indicator. It's not an end all be all because, I mean, there are some players that are just automatic from the mid-range that it it takes them a long time, if ever, to get to the three-point line and really extend it. It's just it reflects touch. And 
it's one of the questionable parts of of uh, Harrison Ingram's game. And it also turns out that that's a pretty uh, significant area for him to be questionable in terms of, uh, you know, his NBA prospects. But I, I came into the season wanting to be high on him because I felt like he could improve that shot. And again, in the early going, it looks like, you know, if you look at the Pepper, Pepperdine game, he did a really good job uh, getting his shot off. He was stepping into it with confidence, taking a, a couple off the dribble. Um, the, the misses didn't look quite as bad. They weren't any high clanks or side clanks or anything like that. They were in line and on target. There's just a little bit here or there, and, and they would have fell. So, But if you look at the Wisconsin game, uh, his most recent one, different story. Um, so we just got we got to see some consistency in our guy. But, you know, I'm hoping for the best with him. Again, this article was written before the season kicked off. There are some there are still some things to be excited about, but um, I don't know how in on him I'm going to be <laughs> if the current trajectory keeps up. So let's now transition over to talking about Ingram on the defensive side of the ball. And mm-hmm. this, I think, fits with some of what we were talking about earlier. For me, with Harrison Ingram's defense, it's strange to evaluate because in terms of his role on the offensive end, you know, you want to be running plays through him, right? I mean, the biggest way that you're going to get benefit from having Harrison Ingram out there is, you know, running the offense through him, him being a creator. But in terms of the defensive side of the ball, I mean, you mentioned it in passing, but really what he struggles with is quicker guards. And I mean, if you're going to be putting him in as a guard, expecting to benefit from his on-ball playmaking, you also have to deal with, you know, what you're going to get on the defensive side of the floor. So I think it's going to be a sort of strange fit where like he's more on ball on the offensive end and then more of like a forward defender on the defensive end. But you know, as you mentioned, the strength really comes into play on the defensive end. And that's, I think, the biggest plus for him. He's not someone who's going to get pushed around unless you've got, you know, say, Zach Eady on him. And pretty much everybody's going to get pushed around by someone that size. But, you know, with Ingram, like some of the stuff down low is pretty positive. Some of his awareness on the defensive end, you know, where he needs to be, even if he's not necessarily getting there all the time, you know, his awareness seems there. And that sort of tracks with his, you know, understanding of the game that you can see through his playmaking on the offensive end. But, You know, again, the tricky part for me with trying to evaluate Ingram is it felt like his defense was better against the kinds of players that you would think he'd be less likely to guard given that, you know, you're assuming he's going to be an on-ball kind of guy. So it's going to be a weird thing where he's like a one on offense and like a three, four on defense, which could work in the right lineup constructions. But I mean, it's something you have to juggle, which, you know, there are a whole lot of prospects where you don't really have to think about juggling those kinds of things. Yeah, you know, the the post-defense is really where it's at, and I do think that he does have some switching potential onto some of these, like, bigger wings and stuff like that. There are a couple clips where he did switch on to, uh, you know, a a player like Jay Heath for for Arizona State, who is a guard, um, switched out onto him and and, and covered him stride for stride. Same thing for, like, a guy like Kirk Creasa for Arizona, who isn't necessarily the best take-you-off-the-bounce type of guy but he is capable of hitting a couple combo dribbles into a pull-up jump shot and and connecting on those. So seeing him be able to do that against some guards is very encouraging. It's not like every guard in the NBA is, uh, you know, Kyrie Irving or, uh, you know, prime Derrick Rose or anything like that where he will get broken down. So maybe in some matchups, like you were saying, Nick, he could be trusted a little bit more in those switching rotations, but he is very smart. He has smart hands. Um, A few, a few plays that I've, that I highlighted and clipped, it, 
they're not freak occurrences, you know, they're just like a representation of something that he did consistently throughout the year where he can, he does know how to use his strength to his advantage to slow down a defender, get them uncomfortable enough. And he can rip a pass out of their or rip the ball out of their hands. Um, He can time, you know, cross court passes very well. He does rotate. Nick, Nick, you were talking about him knowing where he needs to be on the defensive side, which, you know, again, this first step in being able to make a stop is knowing where he'd be in order to get the stop. Um, but it, his strength is phenomenal. You can't really move that guy off of his off of his spots when you're on the block against him. And again, you know, him being able to him being able to switch on wings is very promising because he he has shown the ability to be able to kind of be right on top of someone's hip and slide side for side with them. It's just the uh, the shifty guards that we've seen that are going to give him problems at the next level. Yeah, you mentioned his hands, and I think that's probably his biggest strength defensively, other than his strength is, you know, again, as you mentioned, he's great at, you know, ripping the ball from guys who are a little bit too inattentive around him. And he has a solid notion of, you know, when he should be jumping passing lanes, getting his team out in transition. I mean, it's weird because there's, there are aspects of his game on both ends of the floor that I really like. And then, you know, on the flip side, there are moments that, give me pause and it's strange in the sense that you know there's such a wide range for him in terms of you know where I think he might get drafted at the end of this season I mean you know if he has a few good scoring games and you know he can get his three-point percentage up to the high 30s low 40s you know I think at that point he's pretty clearly an end of the first round early second round guy you know on the flip side if he continues to not be efficient on the offensive end and continues to get taken advantage of by quicker guards on the defensive end, he might be returning to Stanford for another year. So, you know, it was... Which wouldn't be bad because they just... No. They just landed Stoyakovich. So, someone he can kick the ball out to. There you go. I I mean, certainly watching anyone kick the ball out to Andrei Stoyakovich is going to be fun next season. So, who knows? Maybe maybe we actually want Harrison Ingram to do badly so he can stick (laughs) around next year and be be the playmaker for him. But, no, I mean, it's very odd for me to try and evaluate him again this year after the same sort of setup last year where it's like if he does a few little things a little bit better than he did you know he's going to make serious buzz and make a serious place for the first round and if he doesn't progress in those areas or even if he backslides in any area it's it's dicey but i mean yeah. there's definitely talent there and you know that's i think the biggest thing is you know just his playmaking alone is i think worth a look for most NBA teams, but the question is where are you taking that look, right? Like, is it, you know, he gets good enough at the other things that you take a first round flyer on him, or is it going to be, he ends up being an undrafted free agent guy. And if he goes to the right spot, he's going to be the eighth or ninth man in the rotation. Everybody's going to be like, why didn't he get drafted? It's like, well, you know, there's, there's reasons for that, but there's also reasons to expect that again, he could be a rotation player at the next level, you know, sooner rather than later. And it's it drives me nuts too, Nick, because I spoke on this last year with uh, Benedict Matherin. We've we've seen people kind of give Chris Duarte the same treatment in his draft class, where you play West Coast basketball, people are going to have a preconceived notion of you for such a long amount of time. Because Nick, I'm not staying up. Like I I have a hard time catching live sports events anyway with the amount of kids that I have. So I rely on Instat and things like that a lot to go back and be able to watch games, but not everybody is crazy like us, Nick, like the people who are going to watch live sports and that's it. They're not subscribed to a a service that can, 
you know, give them live games whenever they or give them games whenever they want to watch them. They're just going to have a preconceived notion that, you know, Benedict Matherin can't dribble and he isn't a good defender. And then he gets drafted by the Indiana Pacers and people are like, oh, yeah, he's kind of a decent defender and he can do more with the ball than I thought that he could. It's like, well, he actually displayed that. You just really didn't watch him. I'm kind of thinking that Harrison Ingram might kind of do the same thing because he's already improved his body. You know, you know, friend, friend Maxwell Baumbach said the same thing. He was like, hey, did you guys see that Harrison Ingram improved his body? I was like, yes. He was like, yeah, but he still can't shoot. I was like, well, he, 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 he can. It's just not at, at a high level, right? So, again, it's just that I have my kid gloves on with him a little bit still because, again, very early in the year against Pacific, he was hitting. The Wisconsin game, not so much. So we got to work on that consistency. But even if he does, I still think that people have this idea, Nick, that he is like a finished product, that this young man can't get any better, which I refuse to believe in. I have my hopes. I'm still in on Harrison Ingram. I just I'm not as confident as how much I am in on him currently as I was on October 30th when I wrote the article. I mean, hey, if there are going to be people who have anti-West Coast biases, then I can sit here in Sacramento and be the pro-West Coast bias. So I guess I'm there just going to push for Harrison Ingram all year long. That's that's how this works out. I, I'm on your team, brother. We are here on the Harrison Ingram train together. All right. So before we wrap things up, just wanted to circle back to the last section in your most recent article, the first Weekend Warrior Awards. So it's a really interesting list because, you know, a lot of these guys are guys who were some of the best returners in their class coming back and unsurprisingly having really solid starts to the season. So the first person that we're going to go with here is Traquavion Smith, who was your ACC winner. And I mean, with Traquavion Smith, it's pretty simple, right? I mean, last year he was considered a potential late first round pick, decided to come back to school come back to school and he's put on like 10 to 15 really necessary pounds of muscle because he was just a stick last year that got pushed around in the paint all the time. And, you know, the early returns on this season are that he's put on weight that he needed and he has looked very impressive for NC state to start the season. Well, yeah, because last season we looked at how his field goal percentage and his three point percentage were like identical is because he really couldn't get to the paint so much. And they had Darian Sebron who, was kind of like a, a point forward on that team. Even he was a little bit lighter weight, but he was a little bit more uh, um, able to penetrate and slither his way into the defense. But you're looking at Sir Quavion Smith now, man. I mean, he's over 22 points a game, five assists, almost three rebounds, two steals, a half a block, shooting over 50% from the floor, 43% from the three-point line. And he's only giving you two and a half turnovers per game by being the, the engine on that offensive team. He is coming back in a very strong way. A lot of people had him as like their top returner this year. I myself was uh, um, Arthur Kaluma. It was my top returner, but I didn't have Terquavion Smith that far behind. And on the mock posit two point or one point that we just did on draft deeper yesterday, um, I took Terquavion Smith to the Toronto Raptors because I feel like he's kind of like insert him instant offense can kind of create for himself, and it's looking like his playmaking ability is taking a tick up too, which maybe that had to do with playing next to Sebron a lot last year, but his vision, I, I don't think that I was ready for these level of reads that he's making now. And, and that athleticism too, man, he's very bursty, very vertical. So the guy next on the list is also someone who I think has been more impressive as a playmaker than I would have expected, but Jalen Wilson, 
for Kansas is your Big 12 yeah. nominee here. And 20 points, 4 assists, and 10 rebounds per game through the first few games of the season. Yeah, it's, that's going to do pretty well. You know, not to mention him <laughs> hitting almost 50% of his three-pointers. That's going to look pretty good. And yep. you know, Wilson is someone who, you know, certainly Maxwell on our team has been very high on. But, you know, again, he's someone who was pretty close to consensus second rounder last year came back to school and you know now with Oshai Baji and the NBA he's getting a lot more opportunities both with the ball in his hands and as sort of the you know off ball three-point kind of threat and he's really blossomed through the early going for Kansas yeah he looks stronger he looks a little bit more lighter on his feet his playmaking is there I mean four assists at the college level at his position I don't I don't know if people understand like how great of a thing that that is for your forward in college to be able to do that type of thing if if you prorate that to like nba level success for the same usage and his ability to be able to still get it done that's probably like six or seven a game like if he is like the hub of your offense so looking at everything that he's doing this year the the free throw indication he's shooting 100 percent, very low volume um, but the, the three point shot looks like it's a lot better this year. And he had a great combine last season. One of the better combine players along with Marcus Sasser, who ended up coming back for another year of college ball. You know, you touched on Akbaji and Brown being gone. It's his team now. I mean, and he's got other capable players, but he just looks so much more athletic to me this season, which I think is a great uh, indication for him. I have him as like a mid second round player right now, but with the players that I project to be better, not looking so hot, you know, here soon, I might have to start sliding this young man up. He's looking good. We are certainly going to be saying very small sample size a lot for the next month or so of the season. That's just yeah. sort of how it is. <laughs> but for the Big East, you named someone who I would love to hear you talk about because this is a guy who I was not as high on as some of the rest of the No Ceilings guys heading into the year. And yeah. I already look foolish for that because Colby Jones out of Xavier has had a really hot start to the season. Yeah, this is a little bit of me eating crow too because I wasn't that high on him either. I kind of have same range as Jalen Wilson. So this whole piece is me uh, performing an admission of wrongs, which – you don't get it a lot of places other than no sinleys. You know, I'll, I'll eat some humble pie. I like being proven wrong for the right reason. And Kobe Jones, he's, listen, he's, his three-point shooting isn't that great. Um, he's averaging four turnovers a game. At the time of this article, if they played a game and it changed one way or the other, please forgive me. But, I mean, he's giving it to you all over the floor. You know, he's getting to the, he's getting inside and finishing. He's drawing contact. He moves the ball very well. Um, he, defensively he can do a little bit of everything i think you know two two through four is a real possibility for him in the nba maybe even on some ones but i mean quick hands quick feet uh quick understanding of where the ball is going and the ability to get there like that sums it up for him defensively he's an absolute hound and i think that he does offer a lot of connective tissue pieces that three-point shot is going to be the real big swing skill for him i don't know if i'm gonna if i would scream him up my board much more than where I already have him because positionally it'll be very important for him to be able to, to be a threat with uh, shooting the ball because he's not going to get drafted and be asked to be a, an offensive engine, like how he's being utilized right now. But that three point shot starts coming around. Then I might consider sliding him up a little bit more, but he looks good so far. Probably the person who has been screaming up draft boards the most through the (laughs) (laughs) start of the college season, Jed Howard out of Michigan, who, our colleague Tyler Metcalf probably has him like 
third on his board at this point. Big I told you so from Metcalf, yeah. Oh, he, yeah. And, you know, Tyler Metcalf is someone who has never said I told you so to anyone for any reason whatsoever. Mm. So Very humble. It's shocking to hear him doing that, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Jet Howard out of Michigan, who, again, has had one of the most impressive starts of anyone this college season. And certainly in terms of draft stock, he's rocketed up boards more than anyone else through the first few games of the college season. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a guy who I had, I wasn't out on him. I just didn't look at him as a potential lottery level guy. And this is going to be super overreactionary. I corrected my board already after watching him play because Nick, he was just one of those guys like, I got to see it. Now, a lot of the areas that I was concerned about still hold true after a very hot start. I need him to do something on the inside of the three point line. Like that was something that I was concerned with pre college and College ball is showing that to be very true now, but he looks very comfortable doing what he does well on the floor. And defensively, he has some things to fix, but there's already such a role for him at the NBA already. He's got the DNA, big fan of anyone who has ties to the league through bloodline or affiliation. And I think that he's getting coached and he's doing he's doing it against he's going to be doing against high level competition. If he can keep up the the sweet shooting stroke that he has, that nuclear ability, he's got to be a first-rounder. It's just a matter of how high of a first-rounder do you think that this young man could be. I mean, if you look, he's giving you 15 points a game, five assists, three boards, a steal, a block and a half. His three-point percentage and his field goal percentage are pretty identical, which, again, kind of holds true to what I was saying. And he's he's not fouling very much or turning the ball over very much. Very efficient player. He's could easily be you know, one of these connective tissue pieces that are uh, very effective next to like a jumbo playmaking uh, player that you could, that, that we know exists in the NBA. Well, certainly someone who you don't need to worry about their scoring ability inside your pick for the Pac-12, Azulis Tubelis out of Arizona, who is just, you know, casually averaging 20 points per game on 76% (laughs) shooting from the field. Hard, hard to do much better than that, honestly, to start the year. And he's someone who got second-round buzz down the stretch of last season, and he'll have a lot more opportunities this year, presumably with, you know, Benedict Matherin and others departing that program. So Azolus Tubelis, again, you know, really strong start to the season, and he's someone who definitely could make some noise on draft boards if he continues to be as absurdly efficient on the offensive end as he has been to start the year. Yeah, and I came into the season with, like, a late first, early second-round grade on him. I don't expect him dropping outside my top 40 to 45 range. Like he's got to stay there because as a big man, he's got tremendous feel for the game. You can easily see him in a lot of sets that a lot of other bigs in the NBA are now like operating on the elbow DHOs where he himself, like as someone running a DHO off of him can fake use his body as a shield and then kind of stride around someone. He has incredible touch can finish with either hand and his passing instincts are right there too you're talking about a a big man who's averaging three assists at the college ranks right now it's it's tremendous and the offense isn't even necessarily running through him either like he's not a hub like how we saw hunter dickinson at michigan right like he he's able to do so much for this team and he can play the four or the five depending on who else is in the game around him but you know he's hitting 100 percent of his three-point shot which again small sample size there you go nick everyone take a shot um, his free throw percentage is about 64%. So maybe that kind of comes down a little bit, but if you're a big man that could be a threat, 
um, from beyond the arc and you can pass. Oh, and by the way, you're huge and have such soft touch around the basket. Like there's a spot in the league for you. And I mean, him giving you 28 and three on very efficient scoring and these games that he's played in the early going. Yeah. They're against smaller level competitions, but they were absolute rugby batches. Like this dude is getting (laughs) short of being punched in the nose, every possession and still being able to finish efficiently. And up next, the player that you had for the SEC. I'm very happy to see this because I'm someone who was really in on him heading into the season. And mm-hmm. early play has certainly showed it for Cason Wallace. He's been incredibly impressive, especially on the defensive end, where you know that was really his strength in the high school film. But I mean, it's yeah. one thing watching him, you know, defend high school guys versus him just being such an impactful player on the defensive end already for Kentucky. Yeah, and I mean, anyone can go and listen to literally any other show or read any other article to get some Miller love um, from SEC play. But I mean, Kassan Wallace getting near triple double in his debut is no small feat, you know, and he is orchestrating for his team. He's not asked to finish, although he can. I mean, right now he's averaging 12, seven and six, giving you two steals and half a block a game, shooting almost 60% from the floor, shooting 67% from deep. And not really fouling a lot, although being like asked to be a really solid point of attack defender. So the the amount that this guy can do is funny. You know, we were listening to the IPO show that um, Corey and Albert did last week where they were talking about players, how good they are and how come they're not getting buzz. And they were discussing Kassan Wallace as this like really like attractive girl that like wants to be with you. But because there's no chase like that kind of knocks her attractiveness level down a little bit. And that couldn't be like more true right now with Kassan Wallace because he's a very talented guy. I think he is for sure a lottery level talent, but he just is so steady and not flashy. He's like Drew Holiday in that aspect. Like everybody would want this guy on their team, but if if he's in free agency with a lot of other point guards, he's probably not going to get picked first. Although again, Kassan Wallace is absolutely killing it right now. And last up, I'm pretty sure you included the WCC just so you could talk about this guy, but I mean, it's justified. (laughs) Maxwell Lewis of Pepperdine had a really strong start to the season. And I mean, again, I'm sure he's someone that you're going to be more than happy to talk about, even though he might not be Houston Millette, but you know, he's a really fun player for Pepperdine that's had a strong start to the year. Yeah. And I'm glad you touched on that because Houston Millette is kind of like, if I'm allowed to have favorite, which I am, so I do. Um, Houston Millette is my favorite of the Pepperdine prospects, but I really got to give Maxwell Lewis love. He's been the most consistent throughout all of the games. Houston Millette had a great opening game, second game, not so much. But Pepperdine is so freaking stacked, man. And it all rests on the broad, capable shoulders of Maxwell Lewis. He's giving you, you know, uh, 22 points per game, four assists, almost eight rebounds, still on a block, shooting 60% from deep on not so easy conversions either. These aren't just like, let me park in the corner, let somebody cook and pass it to me. Like he can do it off the dribble himself. He could come off a of movement and do it, or of course, obviously be a stationary threat. And he's he's a capable defender too. Like he is someone that is increasingly climbing up my board as we speak right now. Nick, I'm editing my board and I just bumped him up a spot because I just I think he's so talented. But there's other guys on this team, man. Like uh, J- Javon Javon Porter is another guy who I think is going to be. That someone that I include more on this Pepperdine team, you know, related to Michael Porter Jr. He is just a very capable shooter, 6'11, 230. He looks good, but Maxwell Lewis is where it all starts and stops for 
this Pepperdine team, which Nick, I'm going to put it out right now. Like we're talking about a, 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 a tournament title contending team with how deep and talented this team is. Yeah, Pepperdine is an exceptionally fun squad this year. And, you know, the fact that they have Houston Millette on the team and you still, that was a big move of you to go with Maxwell Lewis here, even though they have Houston Millette. So you know, I'm very humble. Thank you. Yes. There you go. <laughs> so speaking of very humble, now that we're wrapping up, why don't you go ahead and toss out some plugs for all of us? Yeah, um, be- only because you asked, I'll do this. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> <I appreciate it. laughs> um, you can follow me on Twitter. And I'll do what everybody else on a podcast is doing now. As long as Twitter doesn't implode, you can still follow me there. Um, at Stephen G Hoops. Um, more than happy to interact with anybody who wants to talk about some of the film that I'm throwing out up there or any of the work that I do. Feel free to follow. Hit me up. Um, I will try to talk to literally anybody who hits me up as long as they do so respectfully. Um, you can read my work over at NoCeilingsNBA.com. You just, if you're listening today, you probably heard it yesterday, but we did the mock posit 1.0 on Draft Deeper with Nathan and Maxwell. And that was such a fun show. Such a unique concept that Nathan came up with. That's why he's the host of the show. And it was, it was really fun to do. So if you missed that for whatever reason, go back and listen to it. But Nick, if I'm not mistaken, I think tomorrow you have a show with Nathan, right? Yes. So actually the deep dives episode for this week that will go up on Wednesday. So the day after y'all are listening to this, Nathan and I will be doing a breakdown of his first rookie ladders. So we'll be Mm. going through the top rookies so far this season, which of course means that I get to talk about Keegan Murray. I suppose Paulo Boncaro and Benedict Matherin have also been kind of okay, but you know, whatever Mm. it'll be, it'll be the key. No, it won't be the Keegan Murray show. We'll definitely (laughs) talk about Keegan among the other hot rookie starts to this season. Um, you can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And you can, of course, find my written work on NoCeilingsNBA.com as well as Steven's great work. Definitely check out the two articles that we talked about on this podcast if you haven't already. And Steven, before I do final wrap-ups, final plugs, uh, anything else you want to add? I just want to say the last... Last time talking about how kind of sad we were about your Sacramento team and how they were doing. Apparently we just needed a little bit of time away from each other because they're a little bit on a, on a, a, a heater, you know, DeMontis Sabonis looks good. Aaron Fox looks good. You know, Dylan, there's Davion Mitchell has had some good games. I mean, what's going on, man? What happened? The Kings are six and two in their last eight and they have been more fun than any Kings team since the Dave Yeager 40 and 42 squad for which he immediately got fired. So, you know, it's, it's all relative when you're talking about Sacramento Kings fandom, sure. but this has been a really good last couple of weeks as a Kings fan. And it's gotten me excited, which is super dangerous and not a place it's healthy to be as a Kings fan. Cause it could all come crashing down right away. That's where we wanted to be though. Right? Like we were cautiously optimistic coming into the season and it looked <laughs> apparently you just need like need a little bit of time this early in the season with so many new pieces like learning and figuring each other out apparently you just need time it just takes time that's what it just takes time yep (laughs) all right so that's going to do it for us over here on the home and away podcast again please check out steven's most recent two articles and additionally if you are listening to this on tuesday the day that it comes out we will be doing playbacks for the championships 
classic. Hey. So we will be doing a playback for the seven o'clock game and the nine thirty game. So that'll be a ton of fun. Definitely check us out on playback. And again, if you've been enjoying the podcast, please leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. Always appreciated on our end. And again, you know, we're a few weeks into it at this point, but we are now an everyday podcast. So if you've been enjoying any of the separate podcasts on the feed or the combined feed, definitely please leave a rating and a review. Much appreciated on our end and always wonderful to hear from all of you who are listening. So again, thanks so much for hanging out with us here today. And as always, thanks so much for listening. (laughs) 